remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle to everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider your words today, we pray as always for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are, into the relationships you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's great to see everybody today, and we are we're seeing people on Zoom now too, so Zoomers, Thanks for being here. It is the dog days of summer, and so I know many of you are traveling, but uh, we're glad that you're here. If you're brand new, well, Alex has already welcomed you, but I'm welcoming you again. If you're new today, we're really excited to have you here for the first time, again, either on Zoom or in person, and uh, we're having a good time to, to worship together. For those who are new, and I see many new faces here, by the way, today, uh, we've got a picnic in Central Park. It's bring your own picnic, so don't get too excited. Bring your own picnic, but everybody's going to be in Central Park this afternoon. And uh, we are in the midst, actually toward the end of our summer teaching series, where we are looking at uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which is described in Galatians chapter 5. The passage I just read is actually in uh, the book, or actually letter, that Paul, we think it was Paul at least, Paul wrote to Titus. It's one of the pastoral letters. Titus was the leader of the church in Crete, the newborn uh, Christian church. Titus was over the church in Crete, and so Paul was giving instructions about leadership, and he mentions one of the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruits of the Spirit, are, or the fruit of the Spirit, is found in Galatians chapter 5. It's one fruit, uh, by the way, one singular fruit with nine attributes. And we may, I think attributes is a little sterile. So if we think about a delicious piece of fruit that has nine different flavors, maybe that's a better way to think about it. So nine flavors, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we've gone through all, all we're up to, to number eight. So we're looking at gentleness today. So the Galatians 5 was our text for the, for the theme, for the, 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 the summer series, and we're looking today at Titus, where Paul reminds uh, Titus that he should tell the people that they should always be gentle, always be gentle. And so I should also mention, if you are new or you've missed some of the previous messages, you can always go to adventhope.org, where you can catch up on the, both the audio and the video, however you want to listen to your podcast. And Michelle preached a great message last week. We encourage you to go there and find it. So, all right. So our text today is reminding us that we should always be gentle. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then one of the attributes of being a follower of Jesus is uh, gentleness. Now, the word that is translated as gentleness can also be translated as kindness or uh, humility or being considerate or meekness. In fact, in other places, meekness is the word. So gentleness has several ways that you can translate it. Uh, and so Paul is instructing us to always be gentle toward everyone. It's, uh, it's a challenging passage. So it's, our theme today is gentleness, okay? 
not exactly the sexiest theme, but get ready because Jesus is very adamant about this idea of people treating each other with gentleness. All right, so I said Titus. There's some other passages where this idea of gentleness comes up. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Paul in Philippians 4 says, your gentleness as followers of Jesus is actually going to be compelling to other people as you interact as a follower of Jesus, as you interact with other people, maybe people who aren't very gentle, as you interact with them, your gentleness is going to be evident to all. It's actually being, it's going to be an identifying feature of the Jesus follower, that you have gentleness, that you have meekness. Uh, Jesus talks about gentleness in his most famous sermon, this Matthew chapter 5, what we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. At the beginning, he lists these, these what we call beatitudes, or these, these attitudes, if you will, as to what a Christ follower is going to be about. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, he says this, blessed are the meek. So this is a case where that word that was translated as gentleness is now trans- translated as being meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So those who are gentle, those who are meek, those are going to be the ones who are going to inherit the the earth. And so in Galatians, it's, it's uh, kindness. In Philippians and, and, and Titus, it's gentleness. In Matthew chapter 5, it's meekness all around this idea, this attribute that Paul says is the fruit of the Spirit. When you uh, become part of the followers of Jesus, you have these attributes or you're to have these attributes and gentleness is one of them. Now, it's a trait It's one of the attributes. But gentleness in our contemporary culture, at least our Western culture, and especially our New York City culture, is not exactly a trait that is uh, promoted very much, right? In fact, there is kind of a cultural context where the opposite of meekness is promoted. I mean, New York is known for its uh, abrasiveness, and roughness. In fact, there's kind of it's like a badge of honor how like how you're able to deal with abrasiveness and 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 roughness. And sometimes you know we feel like we have to respond with our own roughness. And so New York City in particular, but I would suggest you culturally to beyond just New York, there is a a, a, a a cultural issue with the idea of meekness or gentleness. It's just not something that we're into. I mean, if you watch your movies or media, gentleness is certainly not promoted. I mean, the hero is really the person who is most gentle, right? Uh, the, the, the hero is not the, is, is not the one who is most meek. Uh, in fact, those people are often made out to be the, the, uh, the enemies, right? And so gentleness and meekness, not really an attribute that our culture, culture accepts as something that we should aspire to. And yet here in this list of attributes, this list that's talking about what, it, what a Christian is going to act like and be like, gentleness is in the list. That if you're going to follow Jesus, you should be gentle. And by the way, not just gentle to your friends. There is the, the word, there's a, 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 an association between friendship. So when the, when the Greeks used the word that is translated as gentleness and meekness, they often were talking about it in the context of friendship. So, you know, you, you have a friend, you want to be gentle to them, you want to be thoughtful to them, but... Uh, Jesus and Paul go further and say that gentleness that you express to your friends, that gentleness is supposed to be for everyone. It's not just for your close friends. You are to be gentle to uh, everyone. 
There's some irony, though, that you know, the people sometimes who express the least gentleness end up being cultural Christians, right? Especially in our contemporary world right now, we see Christians who are not a gentle, but aggressive, abrasive, uh, 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 confrontational, like this is kind of the trademark of Western cultural Christianity. And so e even those who kind of profess to be Christ followers struggle with this idea of gentleness and meekness and how it actually plays out in uh, the real world. There's even a question as to like whether this is actually a godly trait or not. I mean, I know it's in the list in Galatians 5, but didn't Jesus have moments where he wasn't gentle or he wasn't meek? I think the most famous argument is found in actually all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all mention uh, this seemingly time when Jesus was not very gentle, not very meek. Um, and you're probably familiar, probably if you've read the Gospels, you know the story where Jesus goes to the temple and he turns over the tables. Remember that story? All four Gospels mention it, and uh, one mentions it twice because it happened twice. And so let me read the narrative. This is John chapter 2, verse 13. So we're wrestling with this question of gentleness. Is it really a godly trait? I know it's in the list, but is it really a godly trait? And John 2 is evidence that, hmm, let's think about this. Okay, John 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So three times a year, a Jewish man was expected to travel to Jerusalem for the one of the festivals. Uh, Jesus is going as tradition would warrant going to Jerusalem for Passover. In the temple courts, now he's 30 plus years old, by the way, he's been around now, so this is not young Jesus. In fact, he's been to the temple all the way back from his childhood. So in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and, and, and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, uh, get these out of here, stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So there's one argument that Jesus was just furious. And he was, he walked in and he, the, it's, it just got the best of him. And it, he kicking the tables over and he grabbed the, the whip and he was, you know, out of control. Jesus lost it for a minute, right? That's one argument. You can see where you could get that idea. But I would assert to you that uh, we're still talking about uh, gentle Jesus, uh, meek and mild. That this wasn't Jesus who lost his cool. We don't have any evidence of that happening anywhere else, by the way. That this was, Jesus knew. Jesus didn't walk into that temple court. He, we know he had been there before. And he wasn't surprised that the temple uh, courts were filled with animals and that money was being exchanged. He knew what was going on. This was an act of his messiahship. It was intentional. He, he, he found some cords and drove animals out. I don't know anything about driving animals out. The only thing I know about driving animals right now comes from a great TV show that Kim and Missile introduced me to. Thank you. Clarkson's Farm. Have you seen Clarkson's Farm? Anyone? Highly recommend it. Today's message is sponsored by Amazon Prime. <laughs> so very exciting uh, for their sponsorship today. Clarkson's Farm on Amazon Prime. Kim, we, we, we were talking about sheep and, and, and a couple weeks ago, and Kim and Nassayel were, you got, well, you got to watch Clarkson's Farm. I'm, I'm all in. 
So Jeremy Clarkson, uh, English uh, character mostly known for his car shows. Anyway, he buys a farm and he's learning how to do, how to take care of a farm animals. And so that's all I know about farm animals. But apparently, they can be a little difficult to work with. And so sometimes you gotta, in order to get them to move, you gotta, you gotta incite them to move. And so Jesus knows this, because he's from an agrarian culture, and so he gets some cords together, and he's like, we're getting these animals out of here. But this is a very different picture than a Jesus who loses his cool and becomes embraceive because he's upset or angry, right? This is a Jesus who is in control. And so the disciples noticed this. And so it says that they remembered a passage from the prophecy of the Messiah that said, zeal for your house, for, for God's house will consume him. That's a messianic prophecy. So the disciples recognized Jesus is practicing his Messiahship by driving these animals and taking over the temple courts. It wasn't that he lost his cool and couldn't handle himself and he's just angry flipping over the tables. This was intentional. He'd been to the courts before. He knew that this was happening. This was him announcing his messiahship. Okay, okay, this is over. Now, this is over. So let's not use this passage to say that Jesus is abrasive and, and gentleness is not part of the character of God and the character of God's people. Jesus himself is calling us to meekness and gentleness. It's a challenge, especially in a culture that does not value these things. We value other values that often, oftentimes are in opposition to this. But let's remember that the strongest people are those who maintain their gentleness and meekness, even in the face of adversity. And so you can turn the tables of injustice over without losing your cool and being abrasive and rough. Now, the problem, of course, for us is putting this to, into action. I mean, that's the problem with all of these uh, elements, these attributes, these flavors of the fruit of the Spirit. It's one thing to talk about love. It's a different thing to actually practice love. It's one thing to talk about peace and to know that we should have peace, but putting it into action is difficult. Uh, and, and gentleness is the same way. It's one thing to say that we should be more gentle and meek. It's a whole different thing to put it into practice in a world that does not value this as an attribute that is at the top of the list and, in fact, is, 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 is kind of in conflict with the idea. And so this is, leads us to our big question today. What inhibits us? What inhibits us from practicing gentleness or meekness? What is it that gets in the way of us act actually putting this into practice? We've asked this question about almost all of the attributes. And so what is it about gentleness and meekness, even though Jesus has said this is to be a part of the, the attributes of the followers of him, what is it that makes that difficult? And you know, I always like to have a couple of responses to this, and so I've got three for you today. And the first is this. We have a difficult time with gentleness and meekness because we are afraid of being perceived as weak, and we don't want to be taken advantage of. I think this is particularly true for those in a cultural context like here in New York. I mean, you start acting gentle and meek, and the perception that we have is that we are going to get run over and taken advantage of. If you suddenly become a, a meek and gentle person at, at work, uh, your boss and your coworkers are going to take advantage of you, and uh, you're going to never get the raise, and you're never going to go up the ladder, and you're just you're going to be miserable because you know what's the, the nice guys finish 
last. That's the sin, right? And so we think that we have to fight fire with fire. And so if people are going to be abrasive, we got to be abrasive right back. But then we have to remember, Romans, Paul says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Reacting in the same way that other people uh, act to you is not the Christian way to go about doing things, according to Jesus, according to Paul. Gentleness and meekness, as challenging as that is, and it's, 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 we don't talk about gentleness very much, by the way, because it's, it's not something that our culture admires, and yet here it is as an attribute. And so don't fight fire with fire. That's what Paul says. Hey, yes, we may be concerned that we're going to be taken advantage of by expressing gentleness and meekness and not kicking down the door, but this is the call of the Christ follower. Secondly, we struggle with gentleness and meekness because uh, we don't think people will take us seriously. I mean, this is kind of related. Again, a New York trait in particular. I know not everybody is here from, from, from New York, but as New Yorkers, we can specifically talk about the culture of abrasiveness because it's, it's kind of our civic thing. And, uh, and so we're, we're worried that people will even take us seriously if we're gentle and meek and, 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 and nice. And so uh, I'm going to confess to you now. You know, the Bible says we should confess to each other. So I'm just going to confess to all of you that um, I've, I've fallen into this trap many times, but not, not just with New Yorkers out on the street. It's even worse. It's in the family. Now, my, my, my children are gone. Not permanently, so don't be nervous. Yeah, that's, that was way more dramatic than it was meant to be. They, they, we, Sarah and I, we, my parents have decided to, I think they might be onto, they have just decided to retire in exotic Southwest Michigan. <laughs> so we drove to Southwest Michigan where there is a lovely lake. There's, there's three months there that are glorious in Southwest Michigan. And so, um, this, so the, the, the kids have not seen the grandparents, so we drove to Michigan, and for the first time in 14 years, we dropped the kids off, and we said goodbye. We said goodbye. Now, I know somewhere Levi, I see Levi on, and he's right now, he's, he's tearing up. He's crying. He's thinking about us being gone. I'm sure that he's weeping. Anyway, we left them in Michigan. I don't even know where I was going with this, but we left them in Michigan. I'm just telling you. We're having a blast, by the way. Uh, Levi, hopefully he's not. We had a fun. We went to a concert. We were going to go to a ball game. We're having, we're having the time of our lives. Anyway, um, where was I going with this? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, oh, 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 okay. I, I, I was said I could uh, talk about the... the, the the kids, because they're not here, but then Levi's like looking at me on the screen. So, or I see his name on there. But so anyway, Levi, turn off your audio. So I have this problem of like worried about people not taking me seriously if, unless I'm a little abrasive. And it often happens when I go home in the evening because I got Levi and Jude and Susanna who are lovely children. But, you know, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, um, that I, you know, I have to be abrasive to get things done. And so, you know those movies with the Cowboys movies where there's the swinging door into the saloon? So in my mind at night, sometimes that's how I feel with the, the six shooters. And I kick in the door and, psh, and the door swings back and forth. And I'm like, is the laundry done? Are the dishes done? Because we have a chore list. And when I come home and I want them done. So I'm laundry, dishes, shooting away. 
and I'm like, I, I gotta get, be abrasive or things are not gonna get there. How could, what, what, it's, it's eight o'clock at night when the dishes are, are done. And so my wife, who is exceedingly smarter than I am, um, she always just lets me have my moment, my cowboy moment, and the doors are still swinging in the back as my laundry gun is going off. And um, she's like, lets me do my thing, and then she's like, how about we try, <laughs> try gentleness? See, she's, she's figured this, this out, and she's also with them for much longer during the day. She knows what works, and so then I have to, you know, confess, and I have to recognize, and she's right. The abrasiveness, it, you know, it, it, in one sense you get a reaction and things happen and everybody jumps up and is terrified. Uh, and in another sense, it's just, it doesn't work for the long haul, right? I mean, if you're abrasive with your kids, if you're abrasive with your loved ones, if, if, if it takes that to get things done, something's, something's off. And so I just want to confess to you that this idea of gentleness, it sounds great, but it's hard in practice. Finally, I would suggest that we struggle with this idea of gentleness and meekness because we aren't secure in our own identity. You know, we, we, we have to protect ourselves. We all, I mean, unless, unless you've got severe mental illness, right, which exists and people have, unless that all of us have a, a, a mushy inside that, that, that we, we care and we love things and, 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 and but we, we don't want to show that to everybody. And, and we're a little concerned about like maybe who we are and we know that we're broken and we haven't been able to fix ourselves, but we protect uh, uh, ourselves by putting up a rough exterior. And so we're not secure in who we are, we're not secure in our own emotions, and so we build up ourselves by being abrasive or being rough and not being gentle because we don't want to come to terms with our brokenness. It's too painful and it's too hard and it's just better to have a hard shell and to be abrasive than to really let our brokenness through. And all, not just our brokenness, but our, our emotions and our, and our love and our soft interior. And so the struggle with identity is, is part of the problem. It leads us to embrace um, abrasiveness and we aren't the, the caring and gentle people that God is calling us to be. And so this leads us with our our final question, and that is, okay, with all of these things against us, how do we gain this attribute of gentleness? How do we become meek? If, if Paul feels like it's so important that it's got to go in the list of the nine attributes, the nine flavors of the fruit, and Jesus says the meek, the, the gentle, are going to inherit the earth, this is important. We can't, we gotta take this seriously. Even if our culture doesn't value, value gentleness, we gotta take it seriously. The, the gentle are gonna inherit the earth. So how do we gain this thing that is so difficult for us? And the response to that always has to come back to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was gentle and Jesus was meek. Jesus accomplished what is hard for us. Uh, consider Jesus when he was arrested. Uh, you, you may be familiar with this story. He ate a meal, a, a, a holiday meal with his disciples, and after they were done, they sang a song and they went out to their favorite garden spot together, and Jesus wanted to pray with them, and he prayed, and they slept, and that's a whole other story. 
And so, as the evening went on, one of his disciples had gone to get the authorities. The disciple was apparently done with following Jesus. And so he went to get the authorities because they wanted to arrest Jesus, and so he brought the authorities to Jesus, brought the police literally to Jesus. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. It says that Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. He's talking to his disciple who has gone to get the police. Then the men stepped forward, the temple guards, they seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. All right, so this, it's time for abrasiveness now. Jesus is going to be uh, uh, arrested, and so a disciple pulls out a sword, and uh, we don't know. Maybe it was he had bad aim, because the servant of the high priest was not the person that you needed to get, because there's police people who are arresting you, and he gets the servant of the high priest. So Alex has asserted that this was bad aim, which maybe the or the sword was too heavy. We don't know what happened, but anyway, by the way, uh, I love ears, but you're not gonna. I don't know anyone who's died from an ear injury, so this was not a very good move. Anyway, cuts off the ear of the of the servant. So in his mind, this is the moment for abrasiveness. We're gonna get the sword out and we're gonna fight back. And Jesus says. Put your sword back in its place. I would have said, what are you doing, you idiot? But he said, put your sword. I think that's implied a little bit, but maybe that's, that's see, this is the problem. This is why I'm abrasive. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. I mean, that's a great line, right? You want to, okay, you're going to fight fire with fire. You fight fire with fire, you're going to die with fire. Those who draw the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Is that what you want? Do you not think, Jesus says, do you not think that I can not call my father? He's talking about God, the father. And at once he will put a disposal of 12 legions of not soldiers, but angels. If that's what was needed, Jesus is like, we can do that. This is not what we're doing here. If that happens, Jesus said, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus knew his place, and Jesus acted even in the midst of adversity with gentleness and meekness. Put the swords away. We go on to read the rest of the story. Jesus is arrested, and the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, these were the religious and political leaders, right? So they had this, this system where kind of religious people and uh, political people were one and the same. By the way, can I get political for just a moment? We do not want that. We do not want a system where religion and religious people, religious leaders and political leaders are one and the same and they're using each to, to dictate things. That is not a good scenario. Okay, so the chief priests and the, oh, the whole Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any, even though they had many witnesses. But finally, two uh, men came forward. So they tried to get false witnesses. Who can tell a good lie and story? And we're going to get him, and we're going to keep it. Nothing worked out, all right? But finally, two men came, and they came with truth. They said that he said, 
I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. That was true. Jesus had said that. And then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? He's expecting an abrasive response to, to back. Uh, what is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? He's anticipating that Jesus is going to get angry. There's a reason. By the way, you want to feel angry and you want to feel like you need to fight back with fire. You have people come and lie about you. Right? False test. Jesus is listening as these witnesses are, are sharing false testimony. I would imagine that some of you have been in your workplace and you had a coworker who said something that was not true about you up to, to, your, to your boss. You know, I don't know if that's happened to you, but I would imagine somebody has experienced that today. And what's the response? The response is to cut off the ear, to pull out the sword. But we're told that Jesus, in this moment that seems like it needs some abrasiveness, Jesus remained silent. Jesus was gentle, and Jesus was meek, even in the face of adversity, and it, it stirs in us mixed emotions because we're like, no, 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 I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't want to be gentle in the face of adversity. But you pull out the sword, you die by the sword. The good news for us today is because Jesus was gentle in that moment, because he didn't fight back, because he went through with the trial, and because he suffered, and because he died, and because he rested, and because he then rose again, we have hope that even in our shortcomings, even in that, that time when we are not the people that we want to be, even if we decide here today, I want to be more gentle and meek, and I want to be more kind, and yet you recognize it's going to be hard to do on your own or you're not going to ever do it on your own, the good news of what Jesus has done is that because he did what he did, we have hope that God can work his transformative power in our lives and make us different people than we are inherently. This is the story of all of these attributes, of all of these flavors, love, joy, peace, patience. If we try to conjure them up on our own, we're going to fall short every time. But because Jesus died and rested and rose again, we have hope for a new future and a new present. God working in us. Uh, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin. It's talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become God's righteousness. We might become the good that we will never be on our own. So Jesus, he became sin for us. He took on the burden, and because he did that, we have hope that we get to have Jesus' attributes. Remember, this whole time, we're talking about fruit It's of the Spirit. We've said it a hundred times. We've got to say it a hundred It's fruit of the Spirit. These are not attributes that you inherently or naturally have. These are things that come from outside of your, yourself. And so because Jesus died and rested and rose again, God is enabled to give us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, which we're going to talk about next week. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become God's righteousness. Jesus' action of sacrifice did something that changed the history of the world. When he died, it wasn't just a normal death. Something changed in the universe, and we have hope for a new present and a new future. And so we think back to Jesus' own invitation toward gentleness. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I mean, who's he talking to? Who's not weary and burdened? This is for everybody. Come to me. You'd see, everybody's weary and burdened about something, at least if you're alive and well and working in this world. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. He's using an agricultural term. I only know that because of Clarkson's farm. Take my yoke. All right, that's something you put on a farm animal upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. I am gentle. That's Jesus. The God, the great God of the universe is gentle. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus' invitation for us. First of all, it's a statement. I am gentle. And Jesus said, whatever I am, the Father is. The Father is gentle and meek. And we can come to him and rest because it's in him that we have our hope for our present and future and the hope that we also can become like Jesus, not because we stir up all kinds of good action in and of ourselves, but because God's spirit, a little mysterious, starts working in us when we confess faith in Jesus and God is able to transform and change us and pour into us and upgrade us with things that we don't inherently have. God wants us to be gentle. In fact, he's saying that our gentleness is, is going to be compelling to the rest of the world. Now, you think about that for just a moment. We are in a mess. The world is in a, just an absolute mess. Everywhere you go, something is out of control. And God is like, listen, as you confess faith in me, I'm able to start coming in and giving you love and joy and peace, all good things. But what I think in this moment in Earth's history, this moment in Western cultural history, the idea that God is going to work in people and upgrade them with the skill to have gentleness, a people with gentleness in this broken world, a people with meekness, who are willing to turn their tables over for injustice, but still with a gentle spirit and a meek spirit, those people are going to be a testimony to the great God of the universe, the God who is wanting to, to, to transform this broken world. So we can become people of gentleness. You can become, a, even if it seems antithetical to who you are and antithetical to the city and antithetical to your culture, we can become people of gentleness and meekness like Jesus. Philippians 4, this is Paul, the last update on Paul today, last one. Philippians 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That was Paul getting a little musical there, right? A little repetition. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. He's now talking to the body of believers. If you confess faith in Jesus, this message for you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, this is an eschatological message. It's the message of the, of, of the coming of Jesus. The Lord is near. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. But then, thank God, he just doesn't leave it that way. He doesn't just say, just start being gentle amongst you. Go get more gentle. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is again affirming, as we go to God and we confess our needs and we pray, God is able to start working in us and giving us the attributes that we don't inherently have. And one of those for many of us, one of those for me is gentleness. And so may God work in this community and may God work in our hearts to give us the gentleness and the meekness that we do not inherently have. And may he do this because Jesus has done for us what we will never do for ourselves. May he do this in us today. Amen.